You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1998 Oprah Winfrey starring Danny Glover inhabited Beloved. Classic? Classic, yes. To me, it's a classic. It's a classic among the minds and hearts of many, many people, although it is undersung and it's underwatched, it's underappreciated, and it's undersighted. I'd pitched this as a horror last year around this time and sort of kicked myself for us not covering it during February for Women in Horror Month and Black History Month because it does have a very broad paintbrush and covers both of those in spades. I've seen a few people cite this in the past little while so I'm feeling a little more confident that it's more than horror adjacent and the more I think about it and now that I've just watched it again it is a diet in the wool horror film period. Well, I agree. And I have something to confess. I have something to get off my chest, if you will. Uh, much like the uh, horrific murder of my children. No, I have never seen this film, although I was aware of it. And last year, when you had threatened in our one of our production meetings to do Beloved, I thought to myself, wow, she can't be talking about the same movie I'm thinking of. And you were, because when you brought it up again this year and we decided to do it, you were talking as if it's a horror film. And this whole time while you're talking and saying it's a horror film and it's horror adjacent and a lot of people don't consider it a horror film, but it's unmistakably a horror film. I'm realizing that I had no idea what this fucking movie was about. I knew that it starred Oprah Winfrey. I knew that Danny Glover was in it. I'd seen the posters on the marquee. I had heard people reference it. I knew that it went to the Academy Awards, but I didn't fucking know at all what this movie... I thought it was Roots or Ten Years a Slave or Color Purple. I, yeah. I thought it was... I thought it was one of those types of... And it is. It does. It shares space entirely with those titles. It, it, it is very much a film about slavery. It is about this really shameful transitionary period where the people whose lives were horrendously and irrevocably changed by slavery were suddenly freed and the attitude was, well, there you go. That's what you wanted. But they're left to pick up the pieces of this horrific existence that they had to endure with rape and beatings and humiliation and then to still be in a world where they're ostracized, kept separate. You know, one character in this film very much says, just because you can't see the shackles anymore doesn't mean they're not there. And of course, anyone who fucking lives in the world today knows exactly that that sentence has just as much meaning now as it did when these characters were, you know, supposedly existing in this fiction, which is, it really... It, it always makes me think about how far I think we've come. And then every time you see stuff like that, you, you, how poignant it still is, how, mm-hmm. how it still is relevant, how it still 
uh, applies. How people could still say a line like that with every ounce of meaning because those sort of things affect generation after generation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they, they bring up points like that in this movie. And you can see it here where these children that have never seen a plantation life, never seen slavery, never been chained, and only hear stories of how, what their parents had endured are still ostracized because of it and still have a very cagey and very threatened lifestyle because of it still only 20 years after or 18 years after and we're talking 1873 so things have changed by now in many 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 ways but at this point people were still running scared yeah and slavery has been abolished in the united states at this point less than 100 years so it didn't change the mindset of a lot of white landowners, though, and still hasn't, unfortunately, in a lot of people. Yeah, and and that's the harsh reality. And on top of all of that, real life horror—the things that is really disgraceful chapters of human history. There's a fucking classically interpreted poltergeist, straight up poltergeist. It is. And you start out with that opening scene. Like, if you needed to have this cemented in the horror genre, the first 20 minutes of this fucking movie does it. Period. The, 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 opening, the opening five seconds of the shot of uh, the black and white graveyard. Yeah. W- with that tinting on it. And, and it's like, you're right in the American Gothic. Yeah, right and, in the American Gothic. And then, poof, you're into a household of screaming people and a dog being bludgeoned to death. A, a dog... Getting hit against the wall, eyes popping out, children screaming. Um, uh, you know, you don't know exactly what uh, Oprah Winfrey's character, Seth, is trying to do. You're like, what's she doing? Kids running out the fucking door. A little girl crying. Why'd you go and do that for? Dishes breaking. Mirrors breaking. Mm-hmm. Old women wailing. This is a horror movie. It is the one of the very, a very, very active, very, very violent poltergeist that we're witnessing, and it's very well done too. Uh, mm-hmm. The physical effects and oh, things yeah. like that are, are seal it into the horror genre immediately. And there aren't really two movies going on here. You had reminded me that this is something like three hours. It felt like an hour, or two, <laughs> maybe two and a half to me, because mm-hmm. it. It does. Like, I'm not a big fan of long films, but I I can sit for this for some crazy reason because it's compelling. And you have these very compelling stories that you could take out that very compelling story of slavery and the generations spent healing those wounds and the very real wounds that remain and the story of trying to escape and the story being told of their, their religion, their faith, their lifestyle and their the way that their interactions with their own communities have been tainted by all of this. This is a very fucking rich story of this family and these children. You could take that out of it and still be left with an extremely rich, gothic, haunting, possession, ghost story, horror. And both those movies would be an hour and a half each. (laughs) You know, but they live very well within one another. Um, so I do, I highly, highly, highly recommend this film. And I'm glad that other people have been slow to recommend it over the years, but I do see it included in lists. Uh, and Toy, Toni Morrison's book, of course, being mentioned, because this is a film that did very, very poorly in the box office. Yeah. Although it does contain a lot of firsts and a lot of really beautiful moments within it. It's got a, a beautiful script. It's got beautiful cinematography by Tak Fujimoto, who is 
done a lot of horror films, a lot of genre films that are quiet horror, gothic horror, um, not so much with the very like straight up horror, not like Danny Glover and Saw or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of like genre darlings that had their hand in this early on before they became genre darlings. And I mean, Oprah Winfrey's pretty scary too, but like they've got uh, the Toni Morrison who won a Nobel Peace Prize for her writing and an amazing, powerful black woman. And this would have probably been her first screenplay, I think. The composer, whose name eludes me, had won an award for Emma. So she scored this impeccably as well. It for, is impeccably for scored. First woman to, to win an Academy Award for scoring. for Yeah. I think. So we've got a lot of, like, firsts and a lot of just wonderful talent behind this film. And it is a beautiful film. So it's it just boggles my mind that it didn't do at the box office. I, I would be interested to see what a trailer from 1998 looks of this film. Had I known that there was horror elements in this, I would have checked it out at least, at least on the movie network when it came to television. Mm-hmm. I would have, I would have watched it. I didn't know. I, I, I had no fucking idea for years, 20 years, this fucking movie has been in existence. And I had no idea that it had any, horror elements in it whatsoever if you said oh you know that movie beloved i'd be like oh yeah the the oprah winfrey picture you ever see that flick no do you know what it's about no something i guess yeah yeah you you know and i've only ever seen it mentioned maybe three four times in horror articles well i feel good about uh this and the the length it's it's a chunky sit but i think you needed it to allow these characters to breathe and 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 it really got me thinking and and we'll get into this more as we're discussing the picture but when you're talking about real world atrocities when you're talking about dark chapters in the histories of us as human beings i love that's where these myths and fables and folklore spring from these dark truths and to have such a, a hideously angry manifestation of an injustice in this film during slavery really makes me wonder, and maybe I'm just ignorant to it. Maybe the, maybe there's a dozen, uh, maybe there's a hundred of these stories in literature that I'm just not aware of, but I'm surprised that horror doesn't dip into this landscape way more often uh, and and it's probably because, like you were saying as we were going, it's the cost in return, $80 million versus $20 million in returns. Any studio exec is going to look at that and say, see, doesn't work. People don't want that movie. Which I usually don't hinge on box office numbers, but here I cannot help it. Especially when you have people like Siskel and Ebert at the time saying people are fucking crazy for not liking this as much as they do. And I agree with them wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. It's I rare can... that we agree with those guys. <laughs> I know, right? And it's, it's rare that I really get behind a film. I mean, you've heard me talk about things like Crimson Peak where people mm-hmm. are fucking crazy for not liking it and have the same feelings about mm-hmm. this. And it's, it's a very similar sort of story. So maybe it's hard to sell this sort of like gothic ghost story it's a it's a quiet horror film with a lot of story and a lot of real life horror maybe people just can't handle that or maybe at the time you know in 1998 we were still steeped in a lot more racism black voices were quieted a lot more often than they are today so maybe that had tainted this unfortunately which i'd love to see if we could stick this in a time machine and release this movie tomorrow what it would do 
You were saying that you believe that it would probably make triple its budget. I agree. I think this movie would do gangbusters now, an all-black cast talking about slavery with that, the very comfortable, especially nowadays, uh, Blumhouse-like ghosts presence in yeah. it that we that that is making all kinds of money. This movie would make fucking like 150, 200 million dollars. I guarantee you. I fucking guarantee you. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I can't help but feel a little bit ripped off. So I do highly recommend people go out there. If you haven't read the book, I haven't read the book. So, I mean, shoot me. Whatever. I haven't read the book. <laughs> no thanks. We need you. Yeah. But I, I mean, I will definitely eventually read this this book. And so I do highly, I highly recommend all iterations of this story. And don't let Oprah Winfrey scare you off. No. And, and, and she does a hell of a nice job in this picture. She really does. She really does. You suspend entire knowledge of who Oprah Winfrey is as a human being, and she becomes Setha. She really holds this character amazingly well. And there was times, even watching it almost 20 years ago, I watched this around 2000 with my mom. There were many times when I turned to my mom and just like, honestly, mom, this is crazy. Like, there's some scenes in this that are probably some of the most brutal depictions of rape that i've ever seen or or the most warped anyway Mm -hmm. on film and just the way that they treat a lot of the stories of the slavery and the aftermath especially that paul d has encountered in time uh many times when i would just turn to my mother and be like wow and their depictions of pregnancy and things like that where i just thought it was awfully brutal and uh, aren't you offended watching this and my mom was very behind this film Mm -hmm. uh we watched it quite a few times when we had rented it at the time and she Mm -hmm. must have read the book because she was a huge fan of the idea before it even hit the screen so Mm -hmm. she must have read the book but yeah it was a a really it was a really striking film for me at the time and it just doesn't make sense to me that people don't uh it might just be a situation of just not enough eyes on it you again i'm very i wish i remembered what the marketing like this was i was 14 years old when this film came out so it was not on my radar the way that film is these days and and also the way that information reaches us has changed so much generally speaking if you bring up a film like crimson peak and most of the time, people have two reactions. Oh, I never saw that. Or, oh my God, I love this picture. But then you think to yourself, it's just the people who haven't seen it outweigh the people that have. And I think it just becomes a matter of getting more eyes on it. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. clearly, people skipped this one. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure for what reason. Um, but now you have two really awesome reasons to go and watch it. One for the impeccable storytelling and wonderful stories of real life horror and mm-hmm. real life atrocities against a, a race of people and a particular pocket of people in the United States around this time. And this wonderful ghost story, which mm. if you enjoy things like Pet Cemetery, mm. you know, Better off dead, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of things. Man's heart is stonier, Lewis. The others it has, mm. you know, like quiet ghost stories like that. If you're interested in, in, in that type of thing. Or if you liked Crimson Peak. Mm-hmm. This is a lot of the same uh, opulence, although th- through the lens of, uh, of, a, of an American Gothic. So you're dealing with a lot of beige and, and uh, earth tones. Now, before we get into it, a little bit of um, a sad, sad news, happy news. Uh, if you might have followed me on the Twitter, I was talking about the murder of Tess Ritchie since it happened in November. And 
just after we recorded last week. I didn't mention it on the show, even though up until that point, I was still posting images of the person of interest as often as I could. They finally did arrest somebody. They arrested a 20-year-old gentleman named Kalen Schlatter in Toronto for the murder of Tess Ritchie. So it's been, it's been a couple months that since she had gone missing and been found dead by her mother in downtown Toronto. And finally, they have found that person that was in those images of a person of interest. So I would have liked to thought that this person would have turned themselves in a hell of a lot sooner, or somebody would have recognized them and come to the police and he would have been arrested a hell of a lot sooner. But... Better late than never. I'm glad that somebody is finally behind bars. So that will be um, less posts about this case from me on Twitter if that disturbed you in any way, shape, or form. But I, st- I still will be definitely following this case because this guy ends up in court again at the end of February, February 23rd. So I'll definitely be posting news about it because I can't help but keep this attention because this definitely did, you know, break my heart in many ways. And I'm very relieved that this person has been caught so that the Tess Ritchie family could find a little bit of peace. They only had her funeral the day before he had been arrested, which just seems like the longest time to lay in wait Mm. for something and to not be able to let go or grieve properly. And finally they can. So my heart definitely goes out to the Ritchie family and anyone who's endured the loss of a sibling, daughter or friend. Yeah, I, I think the, the, these stories are important to talk about, especially when they touch us. And we have, a, like I said, when we first broke this, or we didn't break it, but the, the first time that we, we decided to discuss this on the podcast, uh, it was, it, my attitude is we have a microphone, so things that matter to us get talked about because we got the microphone. And uh, this is one of the, it's the only, in stories like this, it's the only peace of mind that uh, anyone really ever gets is they have a suspect that suspect will go through due process and we'll see what happens but uh, uh, hopefully the family can really start putting this behind them the best way they can and, and unfortunately that's kind of as good as it gets yeah. when someone you love has been murdered if you're interested in assisting the Richie family you can check out uh, find test Richie find test Richie on Facebook uh, they do have a lot of court to go through hopefully not a lot because they are victims tertiary victims of this but this is a sort of thing where they don't have to charge him with with murder he's been arrested for second degree murder and hopefully due process will find its way without taking any more time from the lives of the Ritchie family for their own healing but there are costs involved with that for sure and one of the sisters has had to leave her life in the United Kingdom behind and return here to Canada unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine that sort of upheaval, let alone just the upheaval of life if you live down the road from your sister that was murdered, right? Mm-hmm. So find Tess Ritchie on Facebook, and you can always tune into my Twitter, but it's better to tune into our Twitter and follow the show because <laughs> Wes will be having some more bright news. Uh, speaking of, of women and the lives of women, you have some cool stuff coming up on that you've tweeted. I, uh, yeah. So if you guys have been paying attention to Twitter, uh, you guys know that a, a, a long time ago now, uh, I contributed to uh, Jeremy Whitley's comic book, Princeless. There is a charity anthology that was concocted and it has finally been announced, been through final approval. Uh, I've been sitting on this for about two years, so 
that's just how it is when you write things sometimes. Uh, it, it, it's it's not horror, it, it, but if you like a story about a diverse group of teen girls and a fantasy setting... Um, are there hijinks? There are hijinks. It is, uh, I kind of got to flex my uh, Looney Tunes nuts a little bit on the story. It was, it was something where I was not sure that I could do an all-ages book, but uh, damned if I didn't find a lot of childlike whimsy in me, because as much as of a horror nut I am, uh, I, I managed to get into a story uh, that's very sweet, although I did work in a horror reference into it, and if you are a dyed-in-the-wool horror fan, you will get it, and if you don't, You'll never know. That's great. So it's perfect. Um, so my story is it really centers around uh, an eight-year-old girl who lives a pretty humble existence, and she has fairly classical aspirations of a young poor woman wanting to be whisked away by a prince to a better life. But she observes um, the heroics of the titular characters in Princeless and uh, kind of changes her her outlook on life. And, and to me, it was my method for handling other people's work in comic books is to let's go back and see what the original intention of the creator was. Jeremy's tagline for the entire series was save yourself, which I love that tagline. You don't need anyone to save yourself. You can save yourself. And and so that it's kind of like this character becomes like the audience that have been with with these characters for five six years now and uh and and how it's inspired them to change the way that they look at things and this character's name is dara which is the name of the Ooh. matriarch from macabre yeah <laughs> and the name of a sequel that we'll be waiting for with bated breath i think the rest of our lives huh. <laughs> yeah that's fitting. That's cool. And that sort of like has a lot to do with uh, Seth's character in Beloved, mm-hmm. Save Yourself. That's kind of a fascinating tagline. And I like that you've brought it back to its roots. Um, oddly enough, I just received a book from our friends at Simon & Schuster Canada uh, called The Beloveds. It's no relation whatsoever. It's by Maureen Lindley, where the original Beloved novel was by Toni Morrison. Completely different book. But it is sort of a tale of two sisters. Mm. We're talking about... Asian horror here. (laughs) Now, I'm going to cover it on typical books. It is like horror adjacent. It's a dark gothic fiction where this uh, beloved, the film that we're talking about today, is far more horror than this, I think. But I will be doing a little more regular posting on typical books because I did sort of barf out a whole (laughs) bunch of videos. And now I'm just going to kind of like every biweekly or something like that about author talk video coming up and then i'm going to cover into pain freak which is hardcore splatter very extreme horror i can feel the the wetness of the blood hitting my face with just the title (laughs) and i mean it i don't really talk about it in the film as much because i've already pre-recorded it before jack ketchum passed away Mm. which is super sad to have lost him and uh, he's an author that i've always looked up to and splatterpunk as it is now wouldn't exist without him so many authors careers would not exist without him so it's it's a shame that he's passed and it's a shame i didn't really get to talk about him too much in that video but maybe it's for the best there's a lot of great memorial posts out there since the the passing of jack ketchum sometimes the best thing you can do is just talk about someone's work Right. Mm-hmm. That's the best tribute to them. That's what they have left 
behind for us um, and thank God that they do. Just before we leave uh, post-mortem, just to let you know, you can pick up Princeless, uh, the anthology series, starting right now uh, in the month of February. You can pick it up on comicsology.com. That's basically the place where you go to buy your comic books digitally uh, later like on. Amazon, comic books only. Yeah, comic books only, and you can pick that up digitally. Um, my story is not featured in the first issue, but it will be featured uh, very shortly. But you can start now because Jeremy has collected like a lot of who's who in comic books to work on this, and I just sort of squeaked in the door. But um, yeah, and and you know your money is going to some really good causes in support of uh, women, young women. Uh, which is great because that's really what the book is about and who it's for. So you just want to check that out. And I think later on we'll be doing uh, print copies. So Cool. I'm, I'm excited to read the words of a marginalized um, creator. You're being a, a white male in this mix. When are straight white males <laughs> going to get a break in this country? No. You know what's interesting is I almost didn't get the job because of it. I know. And that's when you said you squeaked in the door. I was going to say, no, it was your fucking impeccable pitch and your <clears throat> desire to write this story. And the fact that you do have the soul of an eight-year-old girl that lives deep within you. <laughs> I mean, what better person to write this? No, I, I really think that I had something to offer. But, I mean, Jeremy really wanted to get uh, people, uh, you, you know, basically it was like the less straight, white, and male the, the people contributing to this can be, the better. Um, my artist, uh, Sora... Uh, Sung she uh, really stuck her neck out for me and I, I was able to give a, a pitch and uh, uh, I'm happy to say that uh, I am the only I am the only uh, dude that worked on my section of the book the rest was a, a lot of really talented women uh, Kate Flash and uh, uh, Nikki Andrews did uh, the inks and of course Sora Sung did the pencils oh you know what uh, uh, Taylor uh, Esposito he did uh, he did the letters so there is another dude but, uh, you know, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful contribution. It's good timing for it to be coming out right now. Yeah. Even though it's Women in Horror Month. So, I mean, yeah. get out of here with your mixed genre bullcrap and having to squeak fucking horror references in under the door like you're some sort of fucking pariah. Like, I'm ashamed of it. Yeah, <laughs> right. They'll never know. No, I, I, think, I think that that's wonderful. And I think that it's wonderful that you allowed me to do this movie because it is a very long sit, a very long sit. Well, the good news is, Lids, is I suspected that it might be long just because, you know, sometimes when you look at a poster for a movie and you think to yourself, yeah, that's, that looks like it's probably two and a half hours or something. You know, you just sometimes there's just something about posters and advertising campaigns where you think to yourself, there's no way this movie's 90 minutes. Like, no fucking way this movie's 90 minutes. I'm now curious to see the trailer. Like, I know what the poster looks like, and it doesn't really tell you much. It's too full No, it's just, it's, it's just Oprah Winfrey and Danny Glover kind of pointing to the sky smiling. I was like, this movie could be about <laughs> anything. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> it really could be about anything. Well, we're here to tell you that it is a horror film that deserves to be watched. Absolutely. Do you agree? Did you enjoy it? I haven't even asked you. You haven't asked me. What does it matter what I think? No, I, I will say I'm a little embarrassed as, 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 as a cinephile that I let this one pass me by. But the good news is, because I would love to, Lids, you know me, there's nothing I like better 
than sitting on my high horse, having already seen a movie that everyone should be watching, but they don't because they're idiots. So you can go ahead and watch your entertainment tonight, feed you the fucking pablum of the sheeple out there telling you what movies to watch. I'll sit here and watch the real cinema. Thank you very much. So I gotta, I, gotta, I owe it to my mother for, you know, A, never having an attitude about it. And having just weird taste, really wide taste. She was widely read. She watched a lot of films. So I'm glad that she sat me down mm-hmm. <laughs> ages ago and we watched this film. And I had no idea up until recently that no one else had fucking ever watched it until mm-hmm. I started trying to look up information on it. And it's mm-hmm. so rare. And the only thing that people will cite is how poorly it did at the box office. And no one ever watches it. No one ever talks about it. Yeah. Well, here we are to talk about it. Sometimes, gang... When when we talk about these films, we always think, what? A, why why don't more people watch these weird exploitation movies that we think are really good? And we have to really sift through the rubble of like boobs and machetes to to find the nugs of class that'll put your asses in the seat. This movie's all class, it really and is. but also fucking disturbing. It is. Like I said, some of the highest scenes of brutality that I've ever seen uh, against women. Highest scene of brutality I've seen in uh, against dogs in a long time. Like, it opens up with a nice pan like you set up into a graveyard. Mm. And right away, I'm saying to Wes, see why I like this? It's like <laughs> Graveyards, a, black and white. It's like a, a, a goth girl's Instagram. It is like a goth girl's Instagram. And, you know, I, I'd have to say, just like a total aside, um, there's not a lot of resources for black goths watch Mm. this fucking movie please Mm. please please as far as aesthetic and stuff oh my god and aside from history and just what a what a touching story it really is you get a lot of really cool looks right at the beginning here so it opens with this fucking house full of screaming children and a dog being brutalized it's a very obvious poltergeist activity Mm -hmm. um right away satha comes to patch up the dog like this happens every day and and it's not like this dog's a little hurt its eye is out of its socket its leg is broken jesus yeah yeah and and it seems and and these these kids can't take it anymore and right away you have a house in turmoil under siege by a, a an entity that is so angry violent as hell and and interacting with the people too because like one of the younger girls denver um she's like the younger the youngest of these kids i I take it and she is yelling at the ghost and goes to like reach for something on the table and you see two hands form on the top of this cake and pull it away from Mm -hmm. her it smashes a mirror it's basically chased howard and bugler the two boys out of the house they're packing and they've had enough and they're like we'll need food we'll need some money i'll grab this knife see you later denver and they fucking run away Mm -hmm. they run out of this house they've had enough um setha is like fine with giving up her two sons it seems and patching up this dog and acting like everything's okay Mm -hmm. which is just whacked to me it is probably the most violent poltergeist activity next to the entity that mm-hmm. i've ever seen yeah absolutely and upstairs you got baby sug up there just lying in her deathbed i guess basically because she does pass away right after baby sug is her mm-hmm. is a grandmother and that's uh satha's mother-in-law who mm-hmm. owned this house who that satha inherits because we go eight years in the future mm-hmm. all of a sudden to where baby suga baby suga sugar 
Sug. Baby Sug has passed away, and Denver and Setha live alone in this house. Mm -hmm. The two boys never came back. No, they didn't. And there's still some poltergeist activity going down. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems to be that these people are living a fairly normal life. There's something interesting to me about these inherited homes. I become very fascinated, maybe as I get older, about buildings, cities, and how you can know, I can, we can sit in your house right now. This is a very old house. It's been in this neighborhood forever. And we can know the every nook and cranny of this room that we're in, but we'll never know the lives that lived here before us. When you inherit a house from, when it's kind of passed down continually and where this house came from, et cetera, it's interesting what the house was. And in, in the time of uh, when Setha first came here, I mean, this was a, a, a farm. There was, there was hands all over the place. And baby Sug would hold church just a, a little ways away. But now it's all overgrown. It's all dilapidating over age. It's just two of them there. And what was once a, a, a place where people would congregate is now a place that is ostracized even within an ostracized community a place that gets shifty-eyed looks when you pass by the very busy street it's that it's it, it is it has somehow become the old house on the end of the lane it reminds me a lot of Shirley Jackson's we've always lived in the castle because there's two women living in a house ostracized from community and given horrible looks whispered about behind their backs they never or rarely venture into society at all because of the, that fact. No one comes by. No one is their friend. No. This is a deeply religious community. This is a very small community. And so we, as observers into this world, would say, the house is haunted. They probably think that they, they're they in league with the devil or something. They pro- There's something. They, 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 we will learn it as far graver than that, if I could... Use a turn of phrase. Be, be punny there. Be punny. But at this point, we're introduced to this horrific fucking spirit that chases family members out of the house. So it's not a wonder that people don't want anything to do with them. Mm-hmm. Especially, it's not only like their house is haunted. It's like they live in a haunted house. Yeah. They're protecting whatever's going on in there. Mm-hmm. And that's just wrong. So we could assume that that's all it is. And we, we would swallow that. Um, but luckily, we learn all of this and more because Paul D. comes to town. Paul D. with a skip in his step. Well, his feet hurt, though. Yeah, I was going to say that's the most painful skip in a step I have ever seen. He's a walking man, mm-hmm. Lids. He's walked basically from one end of this uh, great nation to the other. He's basically been walking for 18 years. 18 years. This 18 years is a, a, a pivotal moment. It is a it is a it is a moment that shapes so many characters in this film and the ripple effects again the ripple effects of what was done to uh, Setha and Paul D and Holly almost 20 years later and it hasn't gotten any fucking better it is a nightmarish origin point for the life that Setha lives now and Paul D just comes back as as this virtual ghost from the past and kind of moves on in. But crossing that threshold into the house. And again, 
This is very early on into the picture. So we have started with a graveyard. We have seen incredibly violent poltergeist activity. We've seen a dog eye bulge out of its fucking head. And now we are we have Danny Glover crossing the threshold into this farmhouse. And if this is what everyone experiences, every single person experiences crossing the threshold into this house, no fucking wonder no one comes here. Yeah. This is like some Lynchian nightmare shit, man. It really truly is. We got Dutch tilts. We have this throbbing red light. Oh, the horrible buzzing noises and apparitions in the corners of, yeah. of children, it appears. I mean, I'm surprised. I don't think the dog ever ventures into the house ever again for mm -hmm. the rest of this film. Because we do see the dog. It has a limp and his minus one eye. Obviously, yeah, it's got that milky, that milky eye. It's like, well, she put it back in, but uh, that Never I don't didn't take <laughs> that that I don't work anymore. Yeah, I don't think the dog goes in the house, and and rightly so. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul D barely makes it into the house. He hardly makes it over the threshold. And he says, mm -hmm. "What kind of evil do you have in here?" And she beckons him in, and he eventually does cross through the threshold of this entity. Mm -hmm. and it's terrifying to him. He's taken aback. Like, how the fuck do you live here? Yeah. Moments later, we meet Denver, who is full of stink eye. Oh, my God. Denver is MVP for me for this film. Yeah. I love her. I love her character. I love the arc that she goes through. She breaks down almost immediately. The pressure of feeling as though nobody cares that she even exists because... No one comes by. She feels like she can't leave the property. There's People some look at them when they do. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we find out way later that she had been trying to go to school. But I mean, the the desire to be home to protect her mother, perhaps the desire to be home away from the prying eyes of others, to not hear the stories other people would tell, and then to be home where this horrifying creature is haunting them at every step. That mm -hmm. has driven her brothers away. Like, mm -hmm. no wonder. She breaks down. It's probably the first company they've had in a decade. Mm -hmm. And and she breaks down about, like she had said, it's like people don't even know I'm alive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what that would do to a teenaged girl who you know is trying to find their way in the world, but they can't get out of the fucking kitchen because... And, and look at how angry the spirit reacts. And I'm sure that this poltergeist kicks up every now and again, but Paul D's presence in the house agitates this thing almost immediately. It has a massive freak out and he fights back and it's probably the first person that has ever just not cowered because that's mm -hmm. immediately what the women do. Um, not because they're women, but because they're fucking terrorized and have been terrorized their entire lives by mm -hmm. other things and the spirit. But he has been doing nothing but fighting for the last 18 years well here so he fights back immediately to tell the spirit to leave them alone leave this house and he says you want to fight i'll fight you and he pushes the table that it had flung at him back mm -hmm. and it dissipates for the moment and he has a really good talk with the girls about like look at denver's out of her fucking mind she needs a life she needs you know some sort of stability and then he starts hinting 
he already hinted outside and he's hinting now and he hints later on in the cornfield and he hints over dinner and he hints in bed and he hints in the streets of the town and he hints at the carnival that I came here to be with you, Stefa. So he wants to move on in and start a life. Yeah, really. Um, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, if you were telling me a really horrible story about what happened to you 18 years ago. And I just decided to grab your boobs and then start to take your top off and kiss your horribly scarred back that you have likened to a tree. Because it does kind of, it's almost like a, it is evocative of tree and a branch and the trunk and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, the way these whip marks have, have landed on her back from mm-hmm. years ago, it definitely does look like a tree. Telling you a horrific story about them taking your milk. Yeah, when she had a Tempted to escape sweet home. Sweet home, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not so fucking sweet and barely a home. They make it very clear mm-hmm. that this plantation that they were enslaved on and they were owned by. A school teacher. Was, yeah. The school teacher was the man who ran this and who owned them. It was just the worst, the absolute worst. And she had attempted to escape. She'd sent her two boys off ahead into Ohio to go and live with the grandmother. Somehow she'd gotten them out. And she kept saying that she had sent off her other daughter as well. Uh, But she never really talks about this other daughter. But the two boys were evident. We haven't met this other daughter. Mm -hmm. But she had waited after sending her children off for her husband to join her before running away. And was cornered by the sons of the school teacher and the school teacher himself. And raped horribly. And they drank her milk from her breasts and whipped her terribly. Which is a very... Like, they don't shy away from this. They show... Um, you know, it's not like The Accused and Jodie Foster where they have a very long, drawn-out rape scene. It's not like The Bad Lieutenant by any means. They show it in flashes. But it is probably the most shocking uh, for men and women alike to see men doing this to mm. a, a woman's body. To have a woman's mother's milk stolen from her is just a horrific idea. It's probably the most warped rape scene I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've seen a lot of very extreme horror. This doesn't live there with that. But extremely emotional yeah. horror. Where, where it, it, it just, it, it, it was there to humiliate her. It was there to just be fucking weird. Like it, like and 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 shocking, very effective, because this moment changes her forever, as you would expect, but it also changes everyone else around. I mean, whatever happened to Haley? We find out. I mean, she finds out later in the film. He witnessed this, and it broke him. It, it broke, broke him, him mentally, and he just he was gone. Paul D. Uh, he wouldn't go. Haley was just wouldn't go. And what Paul D had to say later on in the film when he's talking about, she says how what a good man he is, and he says, well, that makes two in the world, doesn't it? Referring to Holly, and she says, oh no, just one because he abandoned me, he left me, he never came with me. I don't know what happened to him. Paul D explains how he didn't even need chains anymore. He just mm-hmm. sat in the front yard by the butter turn and just sat there. He made no sense. All he would say is the loft, the loft, which clues her in. To the fact that this had happened in the barn, her rape and her torture, and he had been in the loft all along and seen this happen, which subsequently broke him. Which 
speaks to him being a good man and never being able to envision this sort of atrocity being done to anyone, let alone somebody he loved. And that was too much for him. It was too much for him. And then, of course, it, it makes you think about what Setha is carrying around with her. She had to live that, mm-hmm. not just witness it. And she didn't have the luxury of giving up because she was pregnant and she had children waiting for her. She had promises to keep. And she had, there was a mental toughness there to help her keep going, even though there was a point in her life in the past where she wants to lay down and die. uh, Thanks to uh, help from a Manson girl. (laughs) Yeah. The craziest white chick you ever did meet named Amy Denver. And this girl, like, helped her out quite a bit mm-hmm. in her own crazy way. Mm-hmm. Helped her deliver a baby, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but, that, like... Yeah, and that's where Denver comes from. And, 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 and so this, again, right now we're not even talking about a ghost anymore. Which is why, the reason why this is so effective is because you can take out horror elements and this still works. But knowing all of this, being told all of this, and knowing so much about her as Paul D. does... His motion to embrace her and embrace her breasts specifically is mm-hmm. extremely tender and is speaks okay. volumes okay. to him understanding what she's been through okay. and knowing that not only does he want her to feel safe, he's pretty confident in the fact that she does feel safe enough for mm-hmm. him to touch her in that very intimate way okay. after explaining oh. what sort of relationship she likely has with her breasts. I was, see, I was looking at it from the perspective of like, oh, that's, that's not good timing, dog. That's no good. But now you've put it through a different prism altogether. And then of course the kissing of the scars saying, almost like kissing over them, like you're still beautiful and these markings of your past are your past. And, and I like accept you wholly and totally fully. And I have scars too. And, and, and that's just, we carry these scars with us. Some visually and some internally you've made this a lot more romantic than i thought it was because i was about to just be all like i don't know about that that's weird well unfortunately that's a lot of the reaction that a lot of people do have to the realities of being a woman i mean a lot of people won't even accept that women bleed every fucking month let alone what the real torture of childbirth is all about and Mm -hmm. what fucking horrific scarring even carrying milk in your breasts can can give and Mm -hmm. a lot of people do still recoil in horror about all of those things so to have a man and in 1870 no doubt who has seen his fair share of horror to not recoil from a thing and yeah accept her entirely is a beautiful beautiful thing and a lot of people could take a fucking page out of the danny glover book right here you know what i'm gonna start living my life a little closer to glover yeah (laughs) yeah i don't blame you but yeah Back to the horror. Because Back to the horror. Because everything's kind of getting happier. Yeah, they go to a carnival. It's nice. And then we we get this idea of like, oh, I see. You know, Denver is warming up to the idea. She's, she's a little shitty still. But at the carnival, she warms up to the idea of of, of Paul D being around. And Setha seems happy. And, and so we're maybe we're maybe this is a story, Lids, about a, a new kind of family being born of tragedy that's what i think it is at this point it very well could be because people out in public said hi to denver and, and, unbidden 
Yeah. And they and weren't whispering behind their backs uh, anymore. Some, they some were of the, when they first the, showed up. Yeah, some of the older community. I love these old ladies that are just like fanning themselves. and like, Well, oh, look who's here. Well, look who's here. And, and you and you think, well, is it really her fault that she lives in a haunted house? Maybe they think she's made a deal with the devil. All these things going around. But uh, don't worry, because like some kind of fucking zombie bog monster, Beloved is going to lurch lurch wheezing and groaning out of a fucking bog straight from the swamp and you know if you want to take a book out of the fucking miss manners goth couture of the day you've got the most impeccable morning gown a beautiful look to her even the fucking ladybugs want to be near her oh my god so there is a lot of very fascinating otherworldly imagery going on here um this um, attraction of insects to a person, this seemingly unorthodox manner of movement, this sharp lurchiness where she seems unsure of herself, like a fucking baby deer or something. And again, these horrible noises she's making. It almost sounds like she's got sleep apnea. Like gurgles. Gurgling. And guttural and, groans. And, 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 and something. And, and so you have a lot of classic imagery of something not of this world. We don't know where this young woman has come from. She looks like the poster girl of some kind of goth magazine. She totally does. And it's all in this like death shroud like morning gear that she's wearing, Victorian style mm-hmm. morning gear. And she lurches forth from the bog to have a nap. Encrusted with bugs, so it's you, straight out of a Guillermo del Toro film. Exactly. Do you, if you think to yourself for a moment, was was she a, a wealthy person whose stagecoach perhaps went into the river and sunk? That's what it appears to be. Yeah, and she has escaped, and she is just injured. She's probably she probably banged her head, and she doesn't know what the fuck's going on. But so she lays against a tree upright and is there all night and just swarmed by ladybugs and butterflies. And then the next thing you know, as our, as our new family is walking towards the, their own home, almost in a cruciform on this old tree stump standing outside, no one paying her much mind. There she is still in this impeccable gown, still, covered in fucking insects you would think oh my god this woman's gonna be dead in a couple of minutes yeah like half awake and gurgling unable to stand unable to speak really and they get her into the house because they're good samaritans that way and she was perched in their front yard so Mm -hmm. there's some sort of attraction or connection between them and her and they get her into the table and try and get some food into her and try to ask her like where'd you come from what is your name she seems like she might be ill. She seems like it's it's. She comes across as simple-minded or something. Mm-hmm. Some kind of uh, develop me developmentally delayed type thing. You can't quite put a a picture on it because she's she looks like she's drinking, but she can't keep water down because she's drooling it out. And they ask her what her name is, and she spells it. Like she's fucking Kayako. Like it's fucking it's creepy, creepy, isn't it? That's really stuck with me. Her 
voice spelling out the letters to beloved Mm -hmm. and saying her own name beloved and i'm not going to imitate it here because i will not do it justice but it is the like kayako it is the creepiest fucking voice i ever heard in my life like a froggy graveyard like a corpse speaking Mm -hmm. um it's mind-boggling to me that they don't get a fucking doctor or run in terror yeah, because right. the, this is this is such creepy fucking behavior. Denver takes to her almost immediately. This this is I don't know if it's because it's a girl her age um, in and around her age, you know, give or take uh, a year or so or what. But it's something. And and so she wants to immediately take care of her, swallow yeah. her. And, and she kind of kicks Paul D and her mom out of the room unceremoniously mm-hmm. when Paul D is like, starting to already ask questions like where is she where'd she come from you don't know or like why is she wearing those clothes Mm -hmm. why you know she said she walked here but her feet aren't marred at all they're like soft as baby butt feet Mm -hmm. and is she sick she she doesn't look sick but she's acting sick what's wrong with her and denver's like she ain't sick and slams the door Mm -hmm. so she's gonna take care of her and baby her back to health ish because she never really becomes normal does she she seems to progress quite quickly in a sense of she becomes more mobile more sure on her feet but there is always a crookedness to her there is always a, 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 a i wouldn't even say uncanny valley although the way uh thandy newton portrays this character is fucking fascinating to me i i'm I have known this actor. She's been in a fucking million things. Uh, I've never seen her in this before. And obviously I've never seen this picture before, but it's, it's a really fascinating, very creepy. Those long stares, the crooked jaw, the, the way that her, she is constantly prostrated out with her hands kind of twisting, like a crab on sand. Like it's, it's, it's fucking. I figured you would enjoy the body uh, acting here because she, does like it still sticks with me so many of her motions were burned in my mind after mm-hmm. seeing this maybe i watched it with my mom at least twice maybe three times when we rented it but oh my god was this girl seared in my brain as like if somebody is possessed with this particular kind of ghost oh my fucking god and and so we as the audience are wondering what who the fuck is this that has just been welcomed into this very unorthodox home? But perhaps this home of lost people who just really need the fuck out of each other is good enough. And so you, this movie becomes this weird tale of you could almost say like, oh, OK, well, this is a story about people who found each other and the hardships of growing up in this. We've almost forgotten entirely that this house had a poltergeist. Because since the incident with Paul D in the kitchen, there has been no hide nor hair of this apparition. Which surprises me in one way that, like, okay, was it him that chased the poltergeist away with Mm -hmm. his manly arm flexing? Mm -hmm. Or was it when Beloved showed up? Because no one seems to put two and two together ever in this film. They don't mention the poltergeist. No, they don't mention the poltergeist whatsoever. Now, if you know anything about how these spirits operate, sometimes confronting them is the worst possible thing that you can do. Being anything but respectful of them can make activity increase exponentially. And something like a poltergeist, which is prone to damaging things, 
there, there's, there's an aspect of them like, oh, they're kind of like trickster spirits. And the thing that makes the poltergeist different is the ruckus they make. The fact that they are constantly interacting with physical objects in the world. They can fucking hurt you. And, and, and so pissing them off can be where you're getting into realms of like where you have to fucking leave the house in the middle of the night. We're not saying that this is something as bad as dealing with a, a demonic possession or, or presence or, or even worse, a devil. Um, it is still uh, something that you need to be aware of and confronting it seems to make this thing dissipate. But hmm. Denver says in this moment when they do mention, oh, you know, the poltergeist hasn't been... Denver casually says that it feels like it's planning something. It's doing something. Sometimes uh, it's believed that poltergeists expelling their energy to move objects. It's not an easy thing to do to interact with the material world once you've partially crossed over. Um, But if it waits and lingers and gathers strength, it can come back in a very demonstrable way. Which we're starting to... <laughs> as demonstrable as being flesh and blood and pulling itself out of the bog and showing up. Which is slowly what we're privy to. That this beloved person mm-hmm. is a manifestation. That pure and simple. This is a poltergeist coming to life. Like to skip way forward and through real fast. This girl ends up doing all the things the poltergeist was doing tearing the home apart Mm -hmm. it was it's wrecking up the place it's destroying food it's smashing things it's keeping them ostracized all over again Mm -hmm. but it's a corporal fucking crazy weird girl Mm -hmm. i mean then to go back to where we were denver's slowly getting to know her newfound sister basically is what she's acting like Mm -hmm. we don't know this yet but like this is like a sister to her and she's feeding her food and she's smushing it into her face which grosses me right out there's a lot of bare feet in this film too i will (laughs) let people know i mean you get a dog that's being brutalized if you don't like animal torture you won't like that and you won't like the feet the fucking i thought oprah was a very brave person not only to go through scenes where it looks like her tits are getting milked by rapists or to have her water break twice on on screen mm-hmm. um giving birth in a way or one time it just looks like a large urination like a horse piss it's a weird thing that she's just like hang on a sec i have to go do that real quick i questioned my mother about that upon watching it and she said didn't you get it her water broke yeah and i was like her water broke she wasn't pregnant my mom's like duh you know duh but like <laughs> what is what is manifested into the real world yeah right so her body is reacting as if she has given birth anew yeah putting two and two together like that was such a such a mind fuck for me mm-hmm. really after watching it the first time as a kid and again it's still like an incredibly emotional story too mm-hmm. when you really get down to it but mm-hmm. like then there are a lot of like mouth things with beloved. Um, she eats like a little baby, and she must have done character study with children or something. I visited a an extra grimy daycare or a trailer park where the things run around untethered because <laughs> she's got like very childish and baby infant like infantile body motions and reactions down pat. Mm-hmm. Creepy. It, 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 the performance is, is absolutely stellar, um, otherworldly as it's meant to be. And this, when you, she seems innocent enough. There are some inconsistencies with this young lady. 
She claims to have walked here. She claims to not know where she's from. Her body is that she was dressed and her body is that of a woman of means, a woman that has never had to work a day in her life. She's not from any fucking plantation. She's not from any farm. Um, where is she from? Um, why is she so, so shady on her past? She's sick. She walks like she might fall over in the breeze, yet she one-arms a rocking chair. Yeah. Like lifts it right up over her head, like this otherworldly strength. Setha won't hear any talk of this. She no. just wants her there. She seems to want to care for her and to mother her without, like, just her, you know, natural inclination is to mother this person and whether she has any idea where she's come from or not. But Denver is a little smarter than this. She's not going to query her because she's suspicious. She's querying her because she genuinely does care for mm-hmm. Beloved. And Beloved seems to be able to talk to her one-on-one and tells her things like, I come from the dark and it's hot down there and you can't breathe and there's lots of people down there. And some of them are dead. You get this sense that what she's talking about is some kind of afterlife, some place. They don't outright say it. And they, Denver seems to get the gist of what she a- means. She asks, if, is Jesus there? Is baby Sug there? Beloved, and and rightfully so, I don't know. She's sad in a way because she's like, I don't know their names. <laughs> and she's I don't so know lonely. Their names. And she understands. And, and the, way, the way that... Uh, uh, Beloved is looking at her is so piercing and with that crooked jaw like that she's doing um, because like one of the things that um, think about like Fanny Newton is like she's a very beautiful woman. And so when her face is like normal, when like there's this one moment where she's like staring at Polly D and I'm like, oh, yeah, she's like she's very beautiful. But then every other time when she's doing her her acting thing and and she and she's twisting up your face, it's like Jesus, she's scary looking. When she gets angry, and she gets angry, I guess again if she's studying infants, the way that they can run hot and cold, right, and oh, go yeah. from laughing to screaming any minute. That's mm-hmm. what this girl can do, and she throws out some crazy fucking lines about. Uh, Setha being the only person she cares about and you'll never take her away mm-hmm. and you'll never make me leave and mm-hmm. you can't tell me what to do and just some really actually crazy fucking things but I guess everyone's like slightly scared of this fucking creepy lady so they yeah. just kind of let her do and say what she wants but then she doubly creeps everybody out on this side of the screen by seeming to know things about mm-hmm. Setha's past and asking her questions about things that should set off a red flag, but don't, I guess. Mm-hmm. Maybe because it's so sentimental and precious. There, There's aspects that are innocent to the, what, the question. When you have her kneeling at you with a smile on her face saying, tell me about your mother, <laughs> as if she doesn't already know. Yeah. And tell me, where are your diamonds at? And, and, and... And, and Or how come you don't got any diamonds? And she's referring to something that hasn't even been top of mind for Setha in so long. She was given uh, crystal earrings as a wedding gift and had worn them for such a short time. Such a very short time. When and Denver was probably like three months old mm-hmm. when she had ever worn these earrings, ever. Uh, so nobody really knew about them. So it was just a weird question. And I don't know why it didn't set off more red flags when she asked about it. Mm-hmm. So Setha tells the story. And this is one of the, this is maybe the third or fourth story. And I'm using air quotes there. 
there's many stories in this film Mm -hmm. that get told because somebody asks a question about something they didn't know and they get this whole like oh my god you didn't know this i'm going to tell you Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of flashbacks all very artfully done it's all a very wonderful and rich tapestry that makes up Seth's life but this is one of those things where we see you know we don't see the flashback about these earrings she tells us about the earrings later on we see flashbacks of the earrings where she was bouncing yet another baby girl on her lap mm-hmm. and playing with the earrings over the baby's face mm-hmm. so the baby got an eye full of these sparkling earrings mm-hmm. so you get this idea is his beloved remembering something and she's wants the the story about what it is that she's remembering and you think to yourself even if beloved was alive there's no way that in the recesses of your brain we can't remember things when we're fucking newborns not really no and she's you know makes you think about some of the things that she's had where paul d's quizzing her like don't you have no people and she's like no i don't have any people and then other people saying like why are you here she's like i came here to be with my people and it's like just trying to slowly piece together this really loose narrative that she's half explaining to people that I came back here to be with the only person I care about, which is Seth. Yeah. And, and Denver is the first one to figure this out. And in that attic scene where they're, where they're playing together and it gets fucking dark fast as a lot of things do with beloved. And this is where, even though Denver is content to keep this secret about beloved's true origin and saying that I'm on your side, Beloved is not interested in anyone being on her side. She doesn't care if this person is on her side because like an obstinate child or the very poltergeist that was inhabiting their house, you can't tell her what to do. She will not leave. And she is there because Seth is there. And even though even though Paul D earlier asked, why don't you just move? Seth's response is, I'm not running from anything anymore. But you also get an, an, an idea from that, with the way that she says it, that she's also saying, I can't run because it's not yeah. the house, it's me. Moving won't help. Yeah. Moving won't help. Much like the entity, and I'll come back to the entity here and there because it's the closest story I can think of in contemporary mm-hmm. horror that really fits with this even though Oprah Winfrey's character doesn't get raped by the entity obviously it's her daughter mm-hmm. spoiler alert if you haven't caught on if you haven't come right out and say it yeah um and and the the next bit of darkness that really traverses into horror territory amongst all of this other narrative that's happening is Paul D's this is where it becomes almost like the Amityville horror to me yes it does where all of a sudden there is something, there is this moment, and that that moment where uh, this uh, the, the 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 where the actress um, playing beloved, like she's not doing the crooked jaw thing, and she is staring, even though she like looks so beautiful, and she but she's staring at Paul D. And if anyone ever in my fucking life ever stares at me that way. I am leaving, and I'm never coming back because <laughs> there is staring at somebody with malevolence and then there is whatever the fuck that is that is mind control hypnosis and you can see subtly that red tint returns to the room very very subtly and 
it starts with Paul D sleeping in fits. He's he is going to sleep for hours in the chair in the kitchen, and then the next thing you know, he is not sleeping in. Uh, they go, he goes upstairs, and maybe it's the second night, maybe it's the same fucking night. Now all of a sudden, he's sleeping in Baby Sug's room, which nobody sleeps in. That room is kind of that that is like left as it was when she died basically. yeah left as it was when he died why are you not in in bed with me you're in this other place and he just doesn't understand what's going on and then one day he's just out sleeping in the old shed and that is where beloved enters and puts the fucking whammy on him puts the whammy on him and expresses in the most childish terms that she wants to have sex with him um by saying she wants him to touch her on the inside and say her name, basically. And she insists on this several times. Mm -hmm. There is some confusion maybe in this part because uh, while he's, you know, hypnotized into having sex with her, she he's basically being raped. Make no doubt about it in this mm -hmm. scene that she has raped Paul D. He's saying... Uh, he's grunting over and over Red Heart, Red Heart, which has more to do with the novel. I don't know if there's a scene missing in this, but it is a very strange, you know, hypnotic way to go about this scene. So it works. It definitely works, whether there's information missing for the mm -hmm. viewer here or not. We get the information we need, which is that she has brainwashed Paul D for the moment. He comes to after that. He stops his sleeping fits. He's awfully confused about what happened. Deeply confused about what happened because he is not a man like that. Um, he has said, like, people here are good to you. You ought to be good back. That's about all he has to say about her at this point. He has no real malevolence against her. He doesn't quite understand what's happened. But I think that he has a hard time with it because he wants to go away. He starts having conversations with himself in the alley waiting for Setha to get off work. Sort of like, you don't, you're not going to like what I'm going to say. This girl showed up and then she ruined our lives and I got to go because this is just too much for me. She and actually like vexed me or something. And I, and I, like, uh, how he's going to admit, like, I had sex with her, but it was like, she fucking raped me. But I don't could know. You, could you imagine? I was trying to put myself in this position of like Danny Glover's character about like, how would I explain to the woman that I'm in love with that this weird affected woman that, th that I've been protesting her presence here this entire time and wondering where she came from and is a source of stress for us, which you feel like treat as your daughter now, uh, I literally had sex with her, but she put the whammy on me. Like, I was just like, how does that sound? I know. Like, and we have seen it. We're witness to this. So we, it's nothing but believing him. And we feel very, very badly for him and the position he's been put in. But yeah, how will that sound? How will that fucking sound? So, you know, instead of that conversation, he turns to her and says, I want us to get pregnant. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's not what he was planning on saying at all. No, but he just he did kind of just say it, and he was all happy-go-lucky. I was saying, I was like, you know, you just juggle them both till it blows up in your face, I guess, Danny. <laughs> That's what he's planning on happening, because I guess it almost does, right? You know, I'm glad that she didn't get pregnant at this point, because that would have been a mess. Two pregnant ladies in the same house? Oh, oh did we mention? Oh, yeah. I knew that was coming. I was like, oh, man, if there's no way that Beloved is not getting pregnant from this encounter. And you, you start asking yourself, like, what is... Like, 
I understand that she is a manifestation of this poltergeist. She's a reincarnation, flesh and blood. Why? She starts doing things like that, you know, I'm, I'm never been pregnant and I've tried to keep my distance from pregnant people because they're very scary. But she starts doing these things that I have heard pregnant ladies do. Craving sweets, craving food constantly, eating voraciously, mm-hmm. having these like strange fits of energy and then sleeping forever. Mm-hmm. Ice chips, being dehydrated, but not being able to stomach too much water, morning sickness. Mm-hmm. She's having all these symptoms. But it's subtle, and it's through the fucking body of Beloved. So it's going to be warped. It's going to be weird. It's going to be childish. So it's really hard to marry these two fucking symptoms together of this, like, reincarnated, possessed ghost person and a pregnant woman all in one. It's it's a fucking horror show to mm-hmm. begin with. And they do sort of artfully hide that her stomach is growing. You get one or two little glimpses that her stomach is protruding. But you almost would think, no, no, that's not what I saw. It just looks like her dress just looks like that. Or when Denver is in the doorway and Beloved is laid out on the bed, sucking a big chunk of ice, it looks like. Or it was like a salt lick. I couldn't tell. Her face is blocking her stomach area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite interesting. But Paul D is going to leave the premises and it's not because he's really happy, go lucky. But then... uh well, baby Sug's old friend, farmhand, whatever you want to call him, uh, who was one of the people that rescued Setha from the, the riverbank, brought her over to Ohio, brought her to, to, to Sug. He has some information off of a 20-year-old newspaper clipping that he just keeps in his wallet for just such an occasion. It all comes to pass because Paul D is happy, and he says to this guy, Stamp, like, we're going to have a baby. And he's like, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. So he pulls out this clipping. We know that Seth has two boys left. We would assume it was because of the poltergeist. We know that the townspeople scoff and stare and stroke their beards and cluck their tongues and wondering what's to be done with Seth and, and Denver. And we think it's because of this ghost. Well, there is something far more real than that and far more horrific than that. When she first arrived, there was this period of 28 days that were pure bliss. And she could imagine a world in which her children would know nothing of slavery. She She was able to see free Negroes for the first time ever in her life and wake up in the morning with the sun shining, hearing her boys laugh. For mm-hmm. real, not be afraid that someone's going to come and stop them from doing it mm-hmm. or get mad at them for doing it. And that she didn't have anything to do that day. She didn't have anything to do. It was free. And then she was free to watch baby Suge sermonizing probably every Sunday. She, I mean, th- this, per- this m- m- den mother, this grandmother, this, uh, this true matriarch was a pillar of the community. Yeah. An absolute pillar of the community that is beloved beloved as much as anyone you could possibly imagine. Just this person that that is just really an inspiration to the black community around her and and whose life will resonate to almost every person you could imagine. And even the white folk in town weren't so bad. Comparatively. Weren't comparatively. Even even this 
this racism that they're facing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like 28 days of fucking bliss, that unimaginable bliss, and just being able to live free. But on the 29th day, the old school teacher returns, her old owner, and he has come to take her children and to perhaps take her back too. She sees them coming up the way, and she even describes, as she's telling this to Paul D., uh, the the look in a white man's eyes, this this look of righteousness when they're on the hunt and we see the shackles on the horses and we see all these boys are armed. And these are the people. These are the people that raped her. These are the people that scoffed and laughed as her breast milk was being sucked out. And then whipped her for it and basically did nothing and stood by while her husband lost his mind. Yeah. Although she didn't know that at the she time. She didn't know that at the time. They've come to collect her they've, and he's got other people with him, like a lawyer and a judge and things like that. So this is all, unfortunately, within his right mm-hmm. and his legal right. So he's probably planning on, yes, yeah, stealing the children back and hanging her. That's probably what was going to happen. Definitely. Now. Setha sees right through that. Right through that. And she takes her, and we think that she is just, running to protect her children and screaming and hollering. And and we see that these white guys are sort of encircling the camp. But instead of hiding and being quiet, it is this wailing, this screaming, this these this gnashing, this fevered pitch. And then we hear the boys screaming, Mom, no. Mm-hmm. So we know that there's something beyond hiding the children going on in there. Something extremely terrifying and then all we can hear is the screaming of setha and the screaming of baby denver when that door opens it is a nightmare show man it is we have seen that with a saw she has cut at the time the child was was known as already crawling yeah crawling already oh crawling baby crawling already that was the, the baby didn't have a name didn't have a name yet uh it's denver's being swung around and the two boys looks like they might be dead. Uh, it looks like they've been hit in yeah. the head with shovels. Yeah. And and when everyone pours in, they just can't believe what they're looking at. They can't believe that she's killed, seemingly killed all of her children. Now, Stamp manages to get Denver away and is cradling this infant who is still alive. Uh, baby Sug, she manages to wake the boys. The boys have been hit in the head, hit, but which might have killed them had they been left to bleed out at that point. And they're a little out of it, but they're okay. Um, Satha is covered in blood and breast milk and spit, and she's half out of her mind. Mm-hmm. And she has this dead baby in her arms. Dead baby in those arms. And it, that's kind of it, because what they have come there to collect is gone. And so they all just pour out, and I guess this uh, lawyer, he says he's going to go get a car for, like, I I suppose, like, body bags. Yeah, he thinks all the children are dead, so. Mm -hmm. So, and this is the true mark that Setha has been carrying. This is truly why they are ostracized. I mean, the ghost doesn't fucking help, but, like, they, (laughs) they don't know about that, it seems. It seems to be the fact that this is a woman who, when the chips were down, just chose to murder her children. What I like about this incredibly dark story is Setha offers no apology. She is not sorry for what she did. She said, it's better that, better they're dead than slaves. Because the life of a slave ends in death. Brutal, violent, 
pointless death. And at least if they're going to die, they're going to die without ever knowing what that life was. And she's putting them somewhere that she knows they can be safe. Mm -hmm. And she was going to kill herself, too. Like, that was, they were all going to be on the other side together. Now, unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, however you want to look at it, the only one that died was the infant daughter. Who was buried under a headstone in the graveyard under the name Beloved. She never had a name. No. So, like, that was just, it was just beloved. And so we get a sense that not only did this child die a violent death, but more importantly, she was left alone on the other side by herself, surrounded by people she did not know, because none of the other children died. Mm-hmm. And neither did Setha. So she took it upon herself to come back, as come hard back. as that might have been. But, yeah, that explains the entire attitude of the entire town and this double whammy of now not only have they been dealing with a a ghost all this time word slowly gets around that this girl this beloved that has moved in this weird girl is the reincarnation of that self-same daughter that they all know very well about this has been the talk of the town for 12 fucking years this was in the newspaper for crying out loud Mm -hmm. like even paul d he can't read but he sees the picture and he's like why is there a picture of a black woman in the newspaper they weren't news but this in particular was huge news because it was murder like cold-blooded murder of your own child so everyone in town has known about this and for them to be accepting maybe the supernatural aspect of this that this is a reincarnation it's intrinsically evil they are all god-fearing so there is like an even double whammy put upon setha at this time the the big descent for setha is not paul d leaving and she even says that it's like after everything in my life that i've been through do you really think that you leaving is going to break me, is going to, I'm going to be broken into pieces because you're leaving. This is just my life and I will carry on because that's what I do. I carry on. And she's sort of ranting to herself a little bit like, you know, I would have figured it out that you were my daughter, but Paul D distracted me. I would have figured it out when you were talking about my earrings, but Paul D distracted me. Mm-hmm. I would have figured it out that you were my daughter way before now, mm-hmm. but Paul D, like she's blaming him for a lot of not being the mother that she could have been for the short while that beloved has been there as this teenage baby and she does know that though and soon enough she has spent every dime like just making the girls dresses and decorating the house and and like all of a sudden like the house like they don't have any money left and by the way Seth gets shit canned for being late for work pretty ridiculous first time late in 16 years and then this fucking like old white fuck is just like well she made the potato salad too sweet yes yeah yeah yeah. and uh you know takes too much food home and this and that and the other thing he had a little bit of reasons but not Mm -hmm. really what i didn't get is how you know he fired her and she's walking away and he's like no no come back why are you walking away i guess she probably could have reasoned with him i bet you she i bet you she could have but she didn't give a shit no she was high on this i have my daughter back my daughter's come back to me Mm -hmm. which you know in in real reality that's when you call a priest and a doctor because mm-hmm. there's something desperately wrong here. But she's very high on this this pride and the blessed feeling that she has, that she has her daughter back. And Beloved is still just as angry and malevolent. There is a sinisterness 
underpinning everything that she's doing. So in a way, it seems like a gift, a gift from God himself. The life that you never had with the daughter that died so long ago has been given back to you. Here she is as if she had never died. The only telling mark is the scar that still is across her neck from when you slit it with a saw. But you can just pretend that never happened because here's the life that I've always wanted and we're going to be just fine. Oh, you can pretend lots of things. You know, you can pretend that you have money. You can pretend that there's going to be more than one potato and buggy fucking infested flour, maybe like two tablespoons of the shit left in your house. Mm -hmm. And you can also pretend that she isn't just a giant two-year-old. And you can pretend that she's not pregnant and draining the very life out of you like she drained every dollar out of your pocketbook. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you can pretend lots of things if you're Seth at this point. Yeah, and you can also pretend like your two sons now grown have come back to the house and then just disappear because you're losing your fucking mind. Yeah. But that's what she that's truly what she wants. All of her kids back and everything's happy. Now Denver is sort of changing her tune. She's kind of gone gone from this obstinate child just angry and frustrated about the life she has to um, like falling into the trap of having beloved there and, like a and protective sister, like protective sister, and working together, and then realizing what beloved truly represents, and now she has to overcome her greatest fear about leaving this place on her own, about facing the world, trying to get work because they're gonna fucking starve to death if they don't. Her mother is not doing well. When I say that, you know, the pregnancy and just like the the time and and mental energy spent with beloved in the house is draining Setha. Mm-hmm. She is starting to look like she's on her deathbed. Mm-hmm. Really and truly. And that's where, that's where like the movie really becomes like this movie really, it, it, it's probably the length, like you basically almost have like an entire hour dedicated to each kind of movie that this wants to be. But it starts out as a story about this, young family that sort of found each other again after all of these years and then all of a sudden this oddity of beloved shows up and then it's that movie for a while and then it kind of becomes this descent into darkness and uh corruption of paul d and then the and then watching the family that has basically been picked up break apart again but then there's this whole tail end where it's about a family destitute dealing with somebody who is you could just say let's say it's not a, a, an incarnation of a dead child and say that it's just a developmentally delayed person another mouth to feed that can't really take care of itself a mother who's ailing and in a, a time and, where there's no resources or understanding of that and a teenage girl basically trying to like through a charity from the community and then also through her own tenacity and and some some very wise words of advice from a, 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 a spirit of, of a baby Sug, if it's a spirit or a memory, we're not sure, but tells her that she needs to get out of the house and, and make her way on, on her own and do things by herself. And so it's about her getting a job and, and, and then the community truly finds out what has been happening in that house. They stage a religious intervention. And, They're going to have like an exorcism. They're going to sing the fucking evil away it is fucking fascinating because you uh, me as a person who's never watched this film i'm thinking man that housekeeper housekeeper of the bodwins goes ahead and tells the community she knew uh baby sug everybody fucking knew baby sug and it was because of that that denver essentially gets a job even though they don't really need her but they'll make it work but then next thing she's with her fucking in the hen house clocking away but what i what i think is is that and and one of the elderly women say 
you know, bad deaths. They don't stay in the ground. And they have a lot to say in this little hen pecking fucking moment, which I don't like either. I really dislike that the housekeeper went hustling downtown to all our little fucking friends and over tea told them all about the woes of Denver and her mother. But I think it comes partially out of concern for Seth and concern for that entire household. And one of them says, and this is like the undercurrent of the entire community, which is there ain't no right for a woman to take the life of their child. And other women counter, well, there's no right for this child to take the life of its mother. Yeah. And, and, and that seems to be this, this, th- this community gathering together. And when they're coming to the house and we know that Denver is trying to speak to her mother, Setha, as she's gotten the, the work at the Bodwins and she's going to get picked up right now. Yeah, hey, Mr. Bodwin's coming. Yeah, and, and she's sitting there with a fucking ice pick, and we see Beloved in the bed just, like, sucking away on the ice, and we sit down, and then we see this conflation of circumstances where this, what you think is, like, an angry mob. It's inches away from uh, torches and pitchforks. Oh, yeah, and you think, oh, my God, are they going to, like, there's part of me on the edge of my seat wondering, are they just going to fucking haul beloved out into the fucking street and and lynch Stoner this, to lynch like, this girl and and since there's such this over this this overarching theme of like just the senseless lynching of black people in this area at this time i was like oh my god is this going to be like this haunting thing with a senseless lynching of of like a pregnant woman i didn't know she was pregnant at the time but like um and but no and then you're like oh my god here comes her new boss at the same time. Like this is almost like this is almost like a I Love Lucy sitcom moment where it couldn't get any worse. Like your boss is coming for dinner and then like the fucking kitchen's on fire or like a big wall of soap yeah. comes out. Yeah. And, and and I swear to fucking God, I think that it's just like, oh my god, is she gonna like lose the the family? Are they gonna lose the job instantaneously? He doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Then it's even worse. Because we find out this Bodwin looks suspiciously like the school teacher and Thetha runs out with a fucking ice pick and also has beloved in tow naked. Naked with all her pregnant, skinny ass teenage glory on display in the front yard. So there's like seven different types of fucking wrong going on in this front yard right now. Denver's just sort of hanging back like, no, mom, that's not the school teacher. That's Mr. Bodwin. What are you doing? Because she's going at him with an ice pick to kill him. Mm -hmm. And luckily, this congregation of women in all their Sunday best, Mm -hmm. basically, that have been singing hymns of praise and they're like funeral hymns is what they're singing Mm -hmm. to sort of lay to rest because they understand intrinsically like this is the spirit of that daughter that died hard and never laid was never laid to rest Mm -hmm. and is a restless spirit that has come to haunt and destroy this life so we need to have a funeral for her basically that's Mm -hmm. what they're having in the front yard as a as a community of, of of black women who've grown up uh, steeped in religion, steeped in uh, Southern sensibilities, and also uh, as slavery was just closing out, there is a way that they they would pro- they first judge her for what she did to her children, but also can on some level understand. They know what it was like. They're all an elderly community. They absolutely know what mm-hmm. life was like and is currently like for them. They're deeply religious. What I dig about this is it requires no convincing like and they come here and first it sounds like cackling uneven angry mob but as they start to sing in unison you get the sense oh okay i see what they're doing now and telling the spirit to lay to rest and whatever whatever plan 
and I'd be curious to know what your thoughts of this are. Whatever Beloved's plan truly was, whatever it was, is stopped because as she's exercised, she screams constantly. She's never stopped screaming since she fucking came out there. Uh, she, like, vapor just vanishes. In, in a puff of blue butterflies. The toll on Setha has been taken, however, and she collapses and will never quite be the same again. Mm-hmm. There's She's still... aged about 40 years in this moment, it seems. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, uh, she, and she will be bedridden for the, the best, although uh, Paul D. does come back into their life, even though uh, Denver knows what happens. She knows. I don't know if uh, Setha truly knows who the father of Beloved's child was. Perhaps I'm sure she's not an idiot. So No, and who knows what conversations Beloved and Denver had, because Denver had a, this knack for being able to speak the language or interpret what mm-hmm. Beloved had to say. So when, when Beloved had anything to say about going out to the root cellar mm-hmm. or anything about what happened that evening mm-hmm. or... Maybe there's things that were cut from it that and there's also good information. That close up of, of Denver's face when Paul D is screaming red heart, red heart. So I'm wondering, so I bet she heard what was going on in there, maybe didn't know exactly, but could probably ascertain and all of a sudden her dead sister's pregnant. So yeah. like and, and, then, and, and Paul D's acting and, and nonplussed and, and has had been up until that point acting like he'd been hypnotized. Like she she knew there was a lot more to Beloved and Beloved was a lot more to blame for mm-hmm. all that. She didn't blame Paul D mm-hmm. one inch for that. Understood it and mm-hmm. knew what had happened, yeah. But kept a lot to herself like a, a lot of women did at the time. Kept a lot to herself, and she she. But we know once they re uh, they meet each other, she's got this great job, and she's learning now. And it's possible that she might be able to go to college someday. And we see this interesting final scene of Denver, which I like quite a bit, where a young, uh, strapping young uh, black man comes up and meets up to her, Miss Denver, Miss Denver, and you get this sense of like this is really it's a, a la vita nuova. Here begins a new life. Yeah, this he's is courting her the way it ought to be. Mm -hmm, where it ought to be but then there's this there is this bitter reminder of here comes this troop of like wealthy white men and they have to basically scamper out of their way and that is simply the reality they may not be born into slavery and they may never have to work a plantation but there is still a reality to the life that this generation this denver generation will live in the wake of these white men that are everywhere that have an idea about Especially in the city, right? Like a cop won't even fucking help her out. Yeah, wearing so, chains you just can't see. Which yeah, is wearing a sentiment chains. That, that has persisted throughout the story. Exactly. Um, although, as as a free person now, Paul D has every right to go up to the house, and Denver even says to him, "Don't don't stay away." Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how mom will take your presence, but don't stay away. And he goes up and explains to Setha that he's going to take care of her at night. Mm-hmm. While Denver's at work, and while he's at work, Denver will be home with her during the day, so someone will take care of her. And it reminds her that, you know, even though Beloved's gone, because Seth is heartbroken, that's what's got her bedridden. Mm-hmm. Not only has her life been drained out of her, and like I said, she aged 40 years right in that heartbeat, but she is heartbroken that her daughter has left her. Setha throughout this film has constantly been talking about her idea of what love truly is. And in her 
mind, love is something so thick, so strong, so powerful that you give everything to the object of your affection. So you have nothing left. The, 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 the counter argument to that is where Paul D stands, where if you love everything a little bit, if you lose something you love, because let's face it, in life, we lose things that we love all the time. A precious family member, a, 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 precious family heirloom, an old quilt perhaps by a grandmother. Mm -hmm. There's things that will be destroyed and lost irrevocably. But if you have put everything into one thing and you lose that thing, you're left with nothing. You have no more love in you. But Setha doesn't love like that. She loves so powerfully and so singularly. And you might say to yourself, does she not love Denver then? She does. And don't get it twisted. But there is something about the life that was lost when she had to kill, had to, when she chose to kill her daughter because she felt she had to. and, uh, and Much better phrasing. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And to get that back, it is almost like getting a portion of your life back that you thought was gone forever. This horrible mistake I can make right again, that through 12 years of gestating on it, probably is hard to play games with yourself thinking that you have to, even though I love that she sticks to her guns as a character and offers no apology. She doesn't break down and cry because it is so far beyond that for her. But in this moment, she tells Paul D, I lost the, the best thing. I lost my best thing and not unlike the princeless tagline he says you're your best thing yeah and that is to say that like throughout the film we have been getting some some wisdom by a far greater woman than i'll ever know <laughs> of of uh of baby sug who's telling you that your hands love your hands kiss your hands because other people will take them will use them will chop them off love your flesh love your flesh um, love the love your heart. Love that what it, love that beat that it gives life. Love your lungs because it intakes the air that gives you life. That free air. That free air. Love your womb because it creates life. Love your private parts because it it creates that life. You know, like love yourself. It it is it is this this earthy religious attitude. It's near a revivalist, but without that icky christian taint yeah you know yeah, she yeah. talks about jesus she yells hallelujah but it doesn't have that cloying dogma to it whatsoever it is very natural wonderful sermons that she's giving mm -hmm. so yeah yeah and and it's to like just show your laughter dance enjoy your life because and, and i'm just like oh man you got your hands you got your heart <laughs> i'm fucking i'm so fucking pumped <laughs> like i'm so ready to be positive and shit and so like the movie ends on that note yeah. Uh, very, very cool. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. And, and it was like, it is, I, I want to categorize it as horror adjacent. It is a horror story, but it's like a quiet horror gothic mm -hmm. tale, a Southern gothic, if you will. Incredibly dark, even for the portions that aren't necessarily horror. Mm -hmm. It is incredibly dark. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm I, really glad that we got a chance to talk about it. Yeah, very cool. I think it is quite bleak in the, the, the rawness of representing what childbirth looks like, what a horrific rape looks like, what lynching looks like, what torture looks like, what the life that in the United States was left to these brilliant people that had to suffer and slog for every scrap. And and I think what it looks like when you tire, take an entire quarter of a cake and mash it in your mouth whole. <laughs> 
there's that as well. And I think I love that with all of its bleakness, with all of its darkness, it has such a hopeful final message that I think is really beautiful. And so I think that if you slog your way through almost three hours of just like, oh my God, this is so fucking serious. uh, It doesn't feel like three hours. You know, it's one of those movies like, you know, I watched it in theater. It didn't feel as long as it was because I was sold and I was in it and I was loving Mm -hmm. it. And I thought it was a great fucking movie anyway. Mm -hmm. And even if I'd never read the book, I'd have been pretty sold on that film. Mm -hmm. Uh, People have watched like Lord of the Rings. People have watched all kinds of long movies. Mm -hmm. Um. Spartacus was probably the longest thing I had watched. Spartacus is very long. Yeah, up until this point when I watched this film. And I did not recall that it was this long. So we keep harping on the length, but it's not Oh, I don't want I don't want to I don't yeah. want to scare people. I don't wanna I don't want to I don't want people to uh to, to to get dissuaded by this. I was very interested. I wanted to know the things that I wanted to know about this film. I was really riveted by all the the plot points and I wanted to know what she did and I wanted to know All the who performances beloved. are just impeccable yeah every this is, single minute on screen is acted wonderfully yeah this is this is a top-notch film honestly and mm-hmm. uh classy classy it is classy and horrific. horrific oh my god i'm gonna have to ask you later on in life if this has scarred you the way it scarred me having just beloved and the way that uh tandy newton portrays this fucking possessed mm-hmm. weird creature mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. truly truly a bizarre woman and uh like i said it's a wonderful addition i never would have thought of it i never would have picked it so i'm really happy that you brought this to my attention and i'm happy that we could bring this to our listeners attention me too and thus ends our february of horror our women in horror month stuff Mm -hmm. and staying timely do you know what we have coming up next The leprechaun. It is the leprechaun. I love that I'm sitting here like, it's about time we classed up this place. And then next thing you know, we're doing the Warwick Davis film Leprechaun, which I never... By the way, gang, this seems like a West pick. This seems like something that I would spout out of my foul mouth and say, let's do this. Au contraire, mon frere, this is another Lydia suggestion. Now, I jumped all over it. I jumped all fucking over it like I'm Danny Glover on Oprah Winfrey. Well, I'll be out of town for St. Patrick's Day. I do not celebrate St. Patrick's Day. I listen to the police scanner on St. Patrick's Day is what I do. But now it's it's a visit to Christopher. So I'm going to be seeing Mr. Legrest over that time, so I won't be here. But I figured we've got to get something timely in, something St. Patrick's-y in, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to cover this film on the show because i watched like if i didn't just listen to police scanner all day for saint patrick's day i would watch leprechaun movies because i do enjoy them as far as campy silly horror i mm-hmm. like them the leprechaun was one of my favorite characters when i was a kid in the 90s uh, i loved the limericks i loved uh, warwick davis's performance i loved the kills in it i it's like Chucky, but for St. Patrick's Day. It really is, and and I and I really always enjoyed it. I was really a big fan of Leprechaun Three, Leprechaun in Las Vegas, uh, but I didn't want to do that one because I I am a purist, and even though I've seen that one the most, I do want to do the first one, and then after that, we have one that is a West pick, and I thought since we were doing some rubber monster shit, we could get into one of my favorite horror movies from the '90s, which is Wishmaster. Which, to me, goes hand in glove with the leprechaun. 
Yeah, absolutely. In many ways. If you want to go, you know, a little more serious with your Irish lore, I'm listening to West Cork on Audible, which is like a eight-part podcast original from Audible. Everyone's doing original stuff. It's not just Netflix. Not too long ago, I lamented that the quality of podcasts don't quite, you know, aren't as good as our show. Because our show is probably the best show that I've ever <laughs> listened to, right? But no, um, the quality of podcasts is sort of getting watered down with the amount of podcasts that are out there, the amount of copycat-style podcasts that are out there, and the amount of, I don't know, just not very good delivery or amateurish delivery or podcasts that, that start out with like eight shows out of the can and none of them are very good. And I get kind of tricked into trying to find the next my next favorite podcast, but having to wade through so much shit. And shows that I really do like are either producing less or not producing at all anymore. So a lot of them have fallen off the wayside, which is unfortunate. So my listening is, has become slim pickings, not including, of course, some of my favorite shows like This Is Horror. Mm-hmm. Um, this is horror has, has increased their amount and increased their quality, increased their production schedule, and will always be one of my favorite flagship podcasts. But I'm always on the look for new things, especially things that have to do with horror authors or true crime. Those are two, like, you think the true crime spectrum is really, really large, but it's not, the quality is just not there. Almost all the author stuff that I listen to, horror author podcasts, are very good quality. There's just not very many of them. So now Audible comes along with this. And I had said, like, maybe I'll have to start listening to long-form journalism on Audible. I'll say one thing. I will not pony up for an Audible subscription because that is too fucking expensive for me. Uh, it makes no sense. It should be pay-as-you-go, but whatever. Um, they have released free for people like me who mm. are too cheap to get an Audible subscription. This West Cork. So if you like that Irish brogue, if you like Irish true crime it's a perfect timing to get into now if it's still free over St. Patrick's Day who knows but you can download it now and listen to it then because like we'll, we'll be probably making fun of the Irish enough when we watch Leprechaun so we can stop <laughs> making fun of the Irish <laughs> I'm half Irish. I can sort of make fun of myself. I'm pretty sure I have Irish in my blood, too. I'm white enough for it, I feel. And the Blarney. <laughs> yeah, I do got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kiss that stone. It's always good to find like a new podcast to listen to. So, yeah, definitely going to want to check that out. Yeah, West Cork. After you listen to our next episode, The Leprechaun. I just keep saying it like that. I got to stop myself. Well, it's okay because we'll get to say it on the next episode as many times as we want. If you guys ever have anything that you'd like to suggest, I suggest you go to my Twitter at Wes Knipe, that's K-N-I-P-E, or you can also go to spotterpictures.net, or you can go to our SoundCloud, or you can go to anywhere. Leave a review on iTunes if you feel like it. Talk about how fucking great we are. Um, yeah, because I'm really slow to respond, so Wes is really your best bet there. But we do read every review, and we do take requests very seriously here. Yeah, yeah, we really do. And we definitely want to make sure that you guys are happy talking about all the films that you want. And even some that you don't want, but you do want to now. You didn't know you wanted to watch Beloved, but now you do. I bet you're fucking buying it right now. Yeah, and anyone that does, let me know your thoughts. Let me know your thoughts about it being horror-adjacent horror or not horror at all. That's true. But I can tell you, we're fucking out of here. I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to 
dead air.